Thank you for standing by and welcome to the Temple and Webster Group Limited 2023 Half-Year Results Investor Conference Call. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. I would now like to hand the conference over to Mr. Mark Coulter, Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead. Thank you, Mel. And good morning, everyone. It gives me great pleasure to be presenting Temple and Webster's first half results for the financial year 23. To begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of country throughout Australia. We acknowledge the Gadigal and Wongal peoples, as well as other First Nation countries who operate across. We pay our respect to elders past, present, and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Temple and Webster has made significant progress across the first half. This was always going to be one of the toughest periods for year in your comparison, as we alluded to due to the timing of lockdowns in FY22. We delivered revenue of 207 million, which is down 12% year on year for the half. Importantly, we saw our revenue year on year comparisons improve over the half, with Q2 down 6% versus PCP, and the month of December finishing up on the previous year. Now, while we continue to take advantage of the industry shift from offline to online, we are also committed to delivering profitable growth. We delivered an EBITDA result of $7.3 million uh, with a 3.5% margin, which is within our guidance. This result, importantly, includes our investment in our new home improvement site, the build. We have a strong cash balance and remain debt-free, which gives us excellent flexibility to fund our ongoing organic growth, but also to pursue inorganic opportunities as some operators in our sector come under pressure. Longer term, we see a huge opportunity with uplift from online penetration in the coming years due to substantial structural tailwinds behind us. We're Australia's leading online pure play retail in a category, and we are profitable with attractive customer unit economics and have a long growth runway. As you can see on page three, our results were even better in the second quarter. Since the end of the previous financial year, we've been focusing on accelerating cost-based initiatives and margin improvement programs. We believe this focus will ensure we win in any trading environment and position us as in a stronger, more profitable business. These programs included reducing our headcount through natural attrition, improving margin through strategic pricing and better sourcing, and focusing our marketing spend on our more proven ROI channels. We are also taking a longer-term view of the opportunity in home improvement, and as such, slowed our investment in the build. These programs led to an improved second quarter EBITDA result of $5.2 million versus $4.6 million in the prior corresponding period. This was despite revenue being down year on year, which highlights the flexibility of our business model. When stripping out the investment in the build, our core EBITDA result actually improved to $6.5 million for the quarter, representing a 6.1% EBITDA margin, up from a 4% margin in the previous corresponding period. Looking ahead, we are confident of returning to double-digit growth. While active customer numbers reflect the lapping of COVID impact comparison, repeat customers now make up the majority of orders, which goes to the quality of cohorts we've acquired over the last few years. We've also seen a 7% increase in revenue per customer, the 10th consecutive quarter of growth in this metric. Pleasingly, both of our longer-term growth plays, trade and commercial and home improvement, uh, were up. Uh, 17% and 12%, 12% respectively in the half. Our customer proposition around affordable beauty is well suited to any further changes in the macro environment. And our business model allows us to pivot to less discretionary items such as bedroom furniture and focus on our value ranges, both of which have been outperforming. 
Pages five and six reiterate the longer term investment case for CPW. The B2C furniture homewares market is a big one, more than $18 billion. And e-commerce penetration is significantly lagging other markets, such as the US and UK. The structural shift from offline to online is being driven by demographic trends, independent of macroeconomic factors. Millennials are overtaking baby boomers as the largest population segment, and these are the first digital natives to enter their core furniture and homewares buying years. Internally, we are already seeing the millennial cohort as one of our fastest growing segments. Given the consistency of our strategy, I'll skip to some of the highlights of the half. As you can see on page eight, one of these highlights is receiving the CanStar Blue Award for the furniture retailer with the most satisfied customers in 2022, based on an independent customer survey data. We were the only retailer to receive five stars across all customer, all customer satisfaction drivers, which included five stars for overall customer satisfaction, value for money, customer service, checkout, checkout experience, product availability, and website experience. I always say starting an e-commerce company is easy. It's the scaling bit, which is hard. And it's great to see that even as we've rapidly become a much larger business, we've been able to keep the vast majority of our customers very happy. While buzzwords such as AI or artificial intelligence and machine learning are no doubt going to be popular this reporting season due to the global phenomenon of chat GPT, we have, active, we have been actively exploring the space for many years now. We've already rolled out multiple data projects to help us improve conversion rate and lower our cost of doing business. Some of our work in the space includes using AI-powered algorithms to better sort and display our products and drive cross-sells and upsells. We've been testing an AI-powered chatbot within our customer service team for quite a while now with good success. And uh, we're also using machine learning models in our demand forecasting to drive better inventory accuracy. Our major play in the space actually kicked off almost three years ago when we invested in an Israeli startup which is building an AI-powered interior design engine. We're the exclusive partner for this technology in Australia, and there are a wide range of innovative use cases for this technology. We believe, like many other industries, AI has the power to disrupt the interiors industry, and we want to be at the forefront of this trend. Pleasingly, our marketing metrics, including customer acquisition costs and our return on investment, are holding even as demand softens over the half. Uh, with, uh, yeah, we saw some CPC inflation. However, this was offset by further gains in our revenue per active customer. Our trading commercial division performed well despite the tougher operating environment with revenue up 17% year on year. B2B now re represents around 9% of our total business with considerable potential to grow as we target new customers in specific sectors while focusing on margin improvement. We've been capitalizing on the boost in tourist numbers with the launch of furniture packages and commercial product offerings into the accommodation market. We've also launched a design and project team to focus on some of these large scale projects. We were excited by the opportunity to gain market share in, the, in a multi-billion dollar market, uh, which is B2B, which has attractive fundamentals. Our home improvement offering across TNW, or Temple of Webster and the build, has grown 12% year on year and represents 6% of the group, for representing a, uh, an attractive growth horizon and complementary revenue stream with significant penetration upside. Given home improvement is a longer term opportunity, the multi-year horizon, which we've always said, we've decided to phase our investment over a longer period. This involves slowing hiring and redeploying our marketing budget onto the home, imp home improvement section on Temple and Webster. While our initial revenue targets for this new venture has been, have been lowered, we have reduced the initial level, in, level investment required to $6 million versus the $10 million previously disclosed. We feel this is a more prudent course of action given the volatility of general trading and the fact, as I said, the opportunity is a longer-term play. 
Note, we still remain very bullish about the home improvement opportunity, which is a natural complement to our furniture and homewares market and significantly increases our total addressable market. I'll now hand over to Mark Taylor to take you through the numbers in more detail. Thank you, Mark, and uh, good morning, all. I'm going to start on page uh, 15 of the deck, which uh, highlights the group's results for the first half, um, which were in line with expectations and within our stated 3 to 5% EBITDA target range. As foreshadowed, revenue for the half was down uh, 12%, as Mark mentioned, um, as we cycle prior year periods impacted by lockdowns. As a result, we focused on improving, improving unit uh, economics, margins and cost-based metrics while leveraging the investments we made over the last two years in our people and our platforms. A few of these are listed on slide uh, 15, uh, such as focusing on proven ROI marketing channels and just moderating the pace of our longer-term investments. This led to improved contribution margin levels of over 15%, and a reduction in fixed cost growth, which helped deliver an EBITDA result, which was within our margin uh, targets, margin range. In terms of some uh, housekeeping metrics to assist in modelling out TPW, I'll call out the following in respect of FY23, group depreciation and amortisation is expected to land between 5 to 5.5, CapEx between 3 uh, to 3.5, uh, which is a little bit higher than historical levels, but uh, uh, this is due to the final payment of our new head office fit-out, um, which is now being completed. An effective tax rate of, of closer to 30% uh, for 23 is also advisable. Uh, page uh, 16 focuses on uh, Q2 performance. Pleasingly, our unit economics improved compared to the prior year, despite year-on-year -year revenue headwinds, leading to an EBITDA result of 6.1% if you exclude the build investment. Our strong position with uh, suppliers are helping uh, with negotiating better margin outcomes while optimising marketing channels helped achieve a strong contribution margin result. Elevated uh, supplier inventory levels uh, are also providing an opportunity uh, to help clear some of this stock. And we continue to see signs of, uh, of pricing uh, deflation which should support margins uh, for the remainder of this calendar year. And it was also pleasing to see the positive trajectory throughout the half with revenue in the second quarter down just 6% uh, for Q2 on, on Q2 FY22 versus being down 18% for the first quarter year on year. This improved further um, towards the end of the half with December revenue being up on the prior year. Page 17 shows that our longer-term margin aspirations have not changed and that we are targeting these through margin expansion initiatives and phasing investments in growth. In particular, we know that as we scale, we should continue to see benefits with suppliers and benefits of, of increases in private label sales. We will also see other benefits, such as a reduction in our marketing spend as a percentage of revenue, particularly as more of our orders come from repeat customers. As we know, it is a lot cheaper to re-engage a repeat customer than to acquire a new customer. Our fixed cost base will be a key area of operating leverage in the coming years. We know Templar Webster can drive much larger revenue with existing resources, and we can also leverage the significant investments we've made into the business over the recent years. 
Finally, page 18 highlights the cash flow gener generative uh, nature of the business. We have a strong balance sheet uh, with cash levels over $100 million, primarily driven from cash from operations and the benefits of the group's negative working capital model. Uh, these cash levels are strong um, and are ready and able to be deployed. Our capital light business model does ensure that balance sheet risks are minimised with still the majority of our business dropship, which uh, carries no inventory risk. During Q2, we completed the fit out and move into our new headquarters here in St. Peter's, which was a real highlight. This site consolidates multiple offices, studio spaces and warehouses and means our entire Sydney team is now in one single building. We've negotiated a long lease on the site with options to expand our footprint and tenure as we grow. So that, look, the takeaway for me from these results is we are managing what is in our control and we are being prudent in our financial management. We have an adaptable business model with attractive unit economics, and for an e-commerce company that is, that continues to generate good cash that can sustain our growth ambitions whilst maintaining a strong capital structure. This puts us in a very strong position to continue generating profitable growth irrespective of the market conditions. Thank you all. I'll now hand you back to Mark. I'll now turn to our strategy and outlook. Uh, pages 20 and 21 set out the longer term case of TBW. As highlighted previously, the furniture and homeless market is, is stable and has shown resilience even through periods of macroeconomic headwinds. Importantly, even if the overall market is challenged, we still have the tailwinds of the structural shift from offline to online. This uh, rate of adoption may actually increase as customers turn to the better value online channel, as we've seen in the past. We're also expecting market share gains as we exert our market leadership position and reap scale benefits. We continue to diversify our revenue mix by expanding activities into B2B, furniture and homewares, and the home improvement market, and this increases our internal addressable market to more than 30 billion. I often hear online retail companies will never be profitable. I feel like that is a little like saying all offline retail companies will be. Of course, the answer is much more nuanced. It depends on the vertical companies in, their assortment, their customer proposition, their margin profile, the cost of doing business, the level of competition, etc. Over a decade ago, when my fellow co-founders and I first scoped Temple Webster, uh, along with the general level category, we did look at the fundamentals of the furniture market. You know, while having higher average order value and better margins and many other categories is an obvious benefit, benefit some of the other benefits are a bit more hidden. For example, over three quarters of what Temple Webster sells is either white labeled or sold under a private label. This allows for more of the catalogue uh, to be differentiated and exclusive to us, and it means there's a bigger opportunity for high margin initiatives such as private labor. The logistics around bulky goods is hard, both moving goods around and into the country, and air freight is prohibitively expensive for bulky deliveries. This reduces the level of competition and is a re reason that Australia has some of the highest margin furniture retailers in the world. We believe these dynamics, along with others, will ensure the long-term sustainability and profitability of Temple and Webster. Given the consistency of our strategy, I'm going to go straight to the trading update on page 24 to give more time for questions. Sales for the first five weeks were down, uh, this half were down 7%, noting that the prior comparison period was significantly impacted for, from strong e-commerce demand during the Omicron outbreak. We note that December 2022 sales were up slightly versus December 2021, a trading period that was not impacted by Omicron. 
We remain committed to our profitable growth strategy and will continue our focus on margin optimization and cost management to ensure we end the year within our 3 to 5% EBITDA margin range. We believe our business model, customer metrics, brand, and new growth horizons position as well to navigate any trading conditions and return to a high growth business. Furthermore, we have over $100 million of cash to expand our roadmap to sales initiatives, to pursue inorganic opportunities, to support sustainable growth. Longer term e-commerce in the Australian furniture and homeways market category remains highly underpenetrated, and we have a much larger addressable market to go in after uh, with our new target vertical. In closing, I'd like to say a huge thank you to the Temple Western team for the dedication and commitment to delivering beautiful solutions to our customers. We will now take any questions you may have. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star 2. If you're on a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. Your first question comes from Sophie Karen with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi, Mark and Mark. Thanks for taking my questions. Just the first one around um, inorganic growth. Can you talk a little bit about what sort of opportunities you're looking for, whether it's a technology advantage or to grow the customer base? And then just as a sort of follow-up, just given the amount of cash you have on the balance sheet, if you don't find something to acquire, are you also considering other capital management opportunities such as a buyback or, or, or anything else? Yeah, hey, Sophie. It's uh, Mark T here. I think... Uh well, maybe MT and MC will we'll call out just so you know who's, who's talking. But um, but look, yeah, look, we are definitely in a strong position when it comes to our balance sheet position, our capital position, um, and have been in that. You know, we've we've been in a positive position now for a little while. I think um, if you go back to the COVID period, it was clearly a difficult period for us to be deploying some of that cash, as you know, the, the primary focus was actually to to maintain growth and ensure we have a consistent and, and strong customer experience. I think now we're, you know, we're definitely in a more of a mindset and, and headspace and we have capacity now to be to be looking at this um, with more depth um, and more focus. So look, I think the, I think to answer your question, well, there's a few, few questions in there, but we're certainly taking M&A more seriously. Um, we have resources on the ground now um, and we have the cash to deploy. Um, you know, so I think for us, we aren't in the business of, of wasting shareholder funds, and I think hopefully everyone knows that by now. Um, so we will be very considered in our approach, and, and we're not going to buy something just for the sake of buying something, um, irrespective if it's if it's um, perceived as being you know very very cheap out there. Um, but I think the areas that we've spoken to before, uh, which are areas like trading commercial B two B, where there's some attractive unit economics in that space, and you know, there's no real household brand names and um, would be quite accretive and adds capability uh, to our business that we don't we don't currently have, I think makes a lot of sense. You know, you've seen our appetite from a technology perspective with the investment in Renovi, and I think if there's further technologies out there that, that can replicate or, or do similar things in terms of being or producing uh, disruptive technology, I think, uh, you know, that's that's quite interesting to us. And I think, you know, also from a... From a Third growth horizon, you know, the uh, home improvement uh, area as well is is quite attractive as well. So, you know, being able to deploy some cash there to accelerate growth uh, prospects in some of these second and growth horizons, I think makes you know makes a lot of sense. But, uh, you know, I think the the overarching sentiment is we would prefer to put that cash to work um, as opposed to uh, you know other capital management 
strategies, uh, we, but we would obviously look at those if, if there was if there was uh, nowhere to uh, to put that cash or to deploy that cash in accretive acquisitions. But but certainly that is our that is our uh, preference. Great, thanks, Mark. And just one more from me, just around the revenue environment. Have you noticed any sort of shift in trend outside of the Omicron impact, if you think, from December to January? And then are you still comfortable in returning the business to double-digit growth through the half? And then how do you balance that revenue growth with the pullback in marketing spend? I think um, definitely we can see um, customers, the flight to value. So, um, you know, I've always, I've always said furniture and, and even the home bit of the business is less discretionary than people think. I know we're in a you know, discretionary category as, as labelled by in retail. However, if you think about your own decisions, you don't, you know, you don't impulse, say, impulse buy a dining table sofa. It's usually a need that is generated um, for that item. The other thing is, um, uh, you know, things break. So, you know, a large percentage of what we sell are people replacing single items or, you know, sheets that are worn out or towels, etc. And that, that kind of that kind of demand keeps going. But within our data, you can um, you can see um, the flight to value. So our furniture categories are doing um, well. Um, categories like bedroom furniture, mattresses, um, uh, even sofas are doing well. Our sofas are actually outperforming some other categories. Um, however, within those categories, people are looking for value. And that's kind of we we feel confident that we have, um, you know, we have the ability to weather um, macroeconomic um, headwinds because we have we can spin up and spin up our um, range to be more value value driven um, quite quickly. We already have the drop shippers there, which is seventy percent of our business. We can push the value ranges, promote the ones, promote the price points, which makes most sense. We've already started importing entry-level ranges. Um, they land Q4. So we're definitely expecting to be a more value-based retailer over the next 12 months, but that is the beauty of the Templeist brand and business model that we can change our assortment and um, you know, price proposition quite quickly. Great, thanks. And sorry, just the, um, uh, around revenue growth, balancing that with the, the marketing spend pullback. So um, I think um, I think the the answer to that question is that uh, I mean my my view on our where we are in the market is that the actual structural head the structural tailwinds behind it the shift to online um, is going to do most of the heavy lifting to be honest and and you've seen that in the past where um, even downturns um, from a macro point of view we've gone through housing market downturns before we've gone through you know quasi you know um, economic downturns and you know it, it, it um, we've still seen strong growth in the category and strong growth from TPW now that is a result of you know as I said before Millennials are still growing up and they're still having life stage and they're still moving out etc and they're, they're turning to the channel of choice which is online and we're doing better because we're exerting a market leadership uh, proposition I can't see I mean obviously we're lapping COVID and there was a period of uh, acceleration up the online adoption curve, and that's kind of sorting itself out. However, that that adoption is going to keep going. We look ahead and we look at our growth and repeats and growth and revenue revenue per active customer. Um, we looked at how trading was at the end of the year when it wasn't impacted by Omicron, and we're still we're still pretty confident that we will return to growth just by keeping just by doing what we're doing. 
obviously I said we're we're focusing our soil mineral value range to take advantage of of um, you know the, the ability to do that. However, um, we are quite confident that our business model will return to growth um, without us having to do you know without us having to dial up marketing um, more than it already is. Now, what we're saying is that in this this current environment, we think it's more prudent to make sure that we, you know, we're really match fit, our pricing's right, our cost of doing business is right, we're looking for cost savings where we can, so that no matter what happens, we're going to stay profitable and we can still show the operating leverage in the, in, in the business model. Um, I don't think it's a trade-off. I think, we can do, I think we can do both. I think we can manage our margins, manage our cost base, and still return to growth and, um, and you know, have our cake and eat it too. Great. Thanks very much, Mark. Thank you. Your next question comes from Rachel Harwood with Macquarie. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, just first one, just, just to follow up from the last one. I mean, I know you did re reiterate your expectation to return to double-digit revenue growth. Just, just confirming the timing around this. You're still expecting it to be in this financial year? I mean, look, we're, we're deliberately... Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty there. I am um, looking at um, the year. I'll tell you that the, the FY22 comparisons, which is kind of gives you an indication of of, of what we're what we're expecting. Q1 very tough because of lockdowns um, versus FY22, uh, uh, FY23 versus FY22. Um, it got easier as lockdowns came out. Um, world started looking more normal, and you can see that in our trading Q2, you know, December actually finished up. Um, Q3 was always going to be the tough one because this time last year, you know, the country was dealing with literally tens and tens of thousands of new COVID cases a day. Um, you know, the foot traffic was subdued in stores. Um, all the offline retailers were complaining about the sales down. Clearly, there would have been a bump to online sales during this period. That abates relatively quickly. So Q4 is actually a relatively clean period. So. You know, we internally we're definitely hoping it looks more like Q4, but we've taken the pressure ourselves to to put a put a um, you know firm line in the fan, in the sand out there. Uh, whether it's Q4 or the beginning of FY24, it's definitely going to happen. Um, but you know that's an indication of the timing we're thinking. Understood. Thank you. And just um, I mean for other retailers, January is a key month for trading. How big is January for Temple Web? So just in terms of sales relative to other months. We have, um, I mean, it's definitely, it, it's a good month in terms of furniture sales. Um, we, we follow, though, um, yeah, there's various peaks throughout the year. So we have a June peak, which is the end of financial year sales, um, the November peak, which is driven, you know, Cyber Monday and Black Friday period. Um, January is a good month because of the start of the year. Um, you know, it's a good month. It's not definitely not, not our biggest month, though. So. Yeah, understood. And then just looking at customer acquisition costs, um, looks like flat on FY22. Um, but just looking at your percentage of marketing spend on new customers appears lower. Could you just maybe explain the rationale for this? And are you expecting to focus on existing customers for marketing spend versus kind of new customer acquisition? I think um, definitely, uh, I mean, the goal of the longer term goal for Temple and Webster is new customer Position. We're still at the very still at the nascent market. Um, you know, people are still coming into their um, into the sector. They may have, you know, experienced our category with you know something like buying towels or sheets or blah blah, but yet to buy 
a piece of furniture, that 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 movement is still playing out. So new customer acquisition is, is definitely the longer term ga game. You know, while uh, demand softened a bit, we did see there was um, increased competition in some of our main channels. And so, you know, we always measure, we basically um, run our performance marketing channels to an ROI. So we scale back our marketing to, um, you know, uh, in um, parallel with the softening of demand. We are constantly looking at to make sure we're optimizing each channel. Um, this is a blended average, obviously, so each channel we look at to make sure that there is ROI. Um, I, um, you know, I think the, the, the more obvious course which we've taken is to go, okay, well, we've got all these customers required. Let's make sure they repeat. Let's, let's, let's make sure they're more spending more money with us. And so definitely re-engagement and driving repeats has been part of our strategy. Uh, having said that, we have put on a new um, head of brand marketing. Um, we are going to be trialing some, um, you know, new customer, new new channels for, for customer acquisition um, over the next six months. But we're going to do it in a very measured fashion. You know, we are we will take a single market, deploy some of our marketing budgets, measure, track the results, see what the cost of sale is over what period. Does it stack up? If it stacks up, then clearly, um, you know, increase the budget. But uh, you know, definitely, definitely, our goal is to make Temple Webster a household name. You know, we yes, 63% of the country has heard of Temple Webster when prompted. But when you don't prompt them, and you say, "What well, what brand would you go to?" You know, this, this, it's still the household names, which um, you know, the offline retailers, which which customers revert to or front of mind. We want to be that front of mind brand, and we want to make sure that when you're thinking of furniture homeless, you think of Temple Webster. And other online retailers around the world have already got there in their in their respective categories. So. How you do that, it's definitely not just through performance marketing, which is very much, you know, customers are looking for things. It is making sure you're all, you always have an, an always-on budget, and that is through other channels outside of digital ones. Obviously, we need to grow into that budget, so we're not going to, you know, we're, we are prudent financial managers. We are not going to start, you know, a $50 million brand campaign. That is not, that is not the goal at all. It is to grow every year. We will find channels that work. The IRA stacks up. And we will spend a little bit more each year, and then over over the coming years, that budget will get more and more sizable. And and as an always-on presence, um, it will become more meaningful. Um, but so yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think yes, we're focusing on repeats right now, but we do have definitely one eye on the future. And the the growth model is is definitely based on getting more more new customers in the door. Understood. And if I could just squeeze one more in quickly, um, can you just comment maybe on your customer acquisition for the build? And are you seeing any cross-selling with Temple and Webster's existing customer base? Yeah, interestingly, a lot of the customers, uh, well, by far the majority of customers, um, into the build um, and home improvement in general uh, are new customers to the group. So it, it, it does, and it's, it, the, the, the thesis is playing out. They're a bit more male. Um, you know, there are different buying needs. There, there, there are different demographics in that in that um, audience. Um, also interesting, which is one of the reasons why we're kind of uh, redeploying some of our marketing budget to home, to home improvement on Temple Webster. As we've improved our range and as we've improved, you know, our um, service model within home improvement in the build. Because we're, we've deployed the same range and the same service model in, home, in Templar Webster, we're also seeing the temp home improvements do well in Templar Webster. So um, the Templar Webster home improvement customer is is growing. 
Um, and some of them, definitely a chunk of them are repeat, uh, are repeat customers. So they have been customers of Temple and Webster, um, trust the Temple and Webster brand, and therefore are, you know, are okay buying home improvement, home improvement objects um, or home improvement products on, um, on Temple Webster. Uh, in terms of kind of more broader cross-sell, um, you know, we're using our email channel, et cetera, but really it's a trying to, Again, home improvement is a new customer acquisition strategy, so we're mostly focusing on trying to get the new new customers in the group who are looking for home improvement. Understood. Thanks for taking my question. Thank you. Your next question comes from Ayan Norozzi with Baron Joey. Please go ahead. Hi guys, hope you're well. Um, just first one for me, please. Um, is there a reason why the trading update was cut off in the 5th of Feb? I think usually it's a few days up until the day of the result. Does anything happen between 5th to, to now or is it pretty similar, please? I mean, it's really, um, I mean, the timing of promos is quite um, the promotional calendar. So that period gives a cleaner read because the calendar, the promo calendar was a bit up from year to year. So it's a more likely like comparison that five weeks to the we're yeah. comping similar promos. That's perfect. And then just on the gross margin, so it's up seventy basis points year on year, about forty five and a half percent, forty five point six percent. How do we unpack that growth? Like how much of it is temporary because of better supply of funding? Because they're obviously trying to clear excess stock and, and will unwind in twelve months' time. And how much is of it will do you expect to hold on? Please? Yeah, hey, Ari, it's at uh, MT here. Look, I think that it's, it is a little bit hard to unpack, to be fair. There's a few things um, that are kind of going on, as there always is within within gross margin and, and delivered margin. Um, but I think the majority of things that we're seeing that are sort of making up that the composition should be, should be permanent. Like one of the larger ones uh, is actually a lot of the work that we're doing um, on the shipping recovery, for instance. Uh, so you'll see the revenue practice customer and, and the margin benefits of us improving um, our shipping recovery, uh, which there's a lot of work that's kind of gone into that. There was a lot of wastage um, and there was a lot of unrecovery historically uh, with, our, with our shipping. Um, we're being a lot more tactical. Uh, we're being a lot smarter, to be fair, on how, we're, on how we're, we're charging customers for shipping. So it's increasing the shipping recovery without you know, whilst minimising, you know, any sort of conversion conversion issues. Um, but there's a few things going on. You've got that. You've got, obviously, you've got some inflationary, uh, uh, you know, pressures that have gone into the into pricing um, over the past sort of couple of years that have, that have kind of, you know, flown through into, into, into pricing, which uh, would have an impact on the revenue practice customer and the, and the gross margin. Uh, we are seeing some mixed uh, changes in our, in our composition if you like uh, we're certainly seeing a shift towards you know less discretionary items i.e furniture as opposed to uh, as opposed to homewares which is you know probably more discretionary um, so that does that does improve the AOV and it does improve the margin profile because we certainly skew a lot more private label and furniture it's just generally a higher margin category um, but on the flip side you know we are seeing uh, some uh, signs of uh, customers despecking a bit as well so you know Mark sort of pointed to this and it's certainly this is exactly how, how it played out back in 1819 when we saw 
the housing market come off, um, you know, 15, 20% off the back of quite substantial growth. Uh, had 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 impacts on the furniture and homewares industry, which essentially meant it meant it, uh, it flatlined, uh, you know, during the 19 year. Uh, but we still grew very very strongly throughout that period. But what we saw was a bit of a flight towards value, you know. And as an online retailer, retail online retail is a perceived value channel, um, and our pricing points relative to offliners is you know is very strong. It's very competitive, and it's. it's to be fair, it's, it's it is it is better pricing, you know. So we're certainly seeing that sort of flight to online, but we're we're seeing that flight to value as well, which means that um, you know that average selling price does come down a little bit as well. So there's a, there's quite a sort of there's quite a lot of things kind of going in into the composition of that. You know, some would be more temporary than others, but um, a lot of the things that we are doing will, will be more permanent in nature as well. The only thing add, add, the only thing to add to that is that. Actually, um, one of the bright spots on the horizon is that we're seeing shipping rates return to pre-COVID levels, um, and that was as every retail in the world spoke, spoke about was quite a um, impact um, during COVID. Um, and the other thing which we're kind of benefiting from is that um, the US is um, moving demand away from China, um, which means the Chinese factories are, um, are you know definitely looking for business. So. We're um, expecting our COGS and um, Lanner COG costs to come down um, over the over the half year um, as that washes through. So um, you know there is a bright spot in terms of margin benefit. Perfect. And just last one on the row on the costs. So your weight, your employees are down nine percent through the half through natural attrition. So um, a few parts of this question. So would, should we expect your wage? dollar cost to be down half on half as well. And given that and the fact that your gross margins are pretty strong and seems like a lot of it's permanent, would that make you rethink that three to five percent margin? Shouldn't that be higher given those benefits now, please? Look, you know, we've 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 said three to five and you know there's a, there's there's quite a range between those those two points. I think we do need to see how how things do play out. Like those the deflationary impacts that that we've spoken about, a lot of that won't actually play out in this financial year, uh, because you're going to see those container cost reductions, you're going to see those factory reductions come through in orders that are being placed now, or being placed, you know, one or two months ago, and there's a three to six month lead time in those in those orders. Then you need to sell those orders as well. So you're not going to see immediate impacts of those come through. Uh, but there's still there's certainly a number of initiatives that we're running internally um, on top of those things that you know that should be driving margin um, higher than than the where we are at the moment. Um, but there's always natural sort of inflationary uh, pressures that come through with wages in terms of wage increases from the prior year as well um, that will come through come through in the second half. So so we're not we're, we're certainly not saying um, you know what 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 area within the 3 to 5% uh, we think we'll be in at the moment. I think we need to see how the next sort of few months play out. Um, you know, I think as we get closer to the next trading update, that'll give us a bit more of an indication as where we kind of sit between that sort of 3 to 5. And the wage cost, think, will that be down half on half or is that pretty, pretty, like the first half's a pretty good run rate for the full year? I think the first half is... is um, Probably a, a pretty good gauge, um, but like I said, there's more than likely there will be some 
um, some of those wage increases that are, that are coming through uh, in the first half, they would naturally come through in the second half, as they've, as, as they've always done. I think for us, you know, there's, there's, there's other levers, you know, that we can pull as well if we needed to pull certain levers um, in the fixed cost base. Um, but we'll, we'll pull those levers if we have to, um, uh, only if we're seeing trading conditions not where we think they'll be, but there's certainly no, no plans at this stage to be doing that. And the other point, the other point to note is we view, and, and we deliberately split it out in, our, in our, um, the P&L that we present, our customer service cost as a variable cost. So, um, you know, the number of agents we need to handle our pre- and post-sale inquiries, um, we want to scale up and down as demand shifts. So we treat it a variable and we, we um, you know, manage it as a variable expense. And so that 9% of headcount reduction, a chunk of that was in our customer care, care line. So you actually see it in the customer service line as opposed to necessarily the wages line. Now, most retailers would, you know, most businesses would lump it all into wages. We deliberately split it out. So we, we manage the business to make sure it's a variable cost. So um, you'll see some of the wage decrease in the customer service line as opposed to the wages line. I think that's I right. think that's right. Yeah, that's that's right, Mark. And I think that's an important point, which is that is a variable cost, which that that will flex. Um, I, I suppose my comment was more related to the fixed costs. And I, you know, I think going back to your original question, I think to be fair, with with some of the with some of the natural attrition that's come through, um, the first half is probably a, a pretty good proxy for where the full year should end up. Great, thanks, guys. Thank you. Your next question comes from Wilson Wong with Jarden. Please go ahead. Hi guys, um, just question just around over the past month and a half, like how have average order values and conversion rates been tracking? Um, so fairly in line with um, historicals, sorry, we're still, we're still seeing an improvement in AOV. So um, AOV is still up, and that's driven, by, as I said, by, by furniture, but in line with how, how it's tracking in the half. Um, conversion rate um, is, uh, I mean, I don't think we've released the, the point, but I mean, there's nothing kind of too, too dissimilar in terms of our conversion rate. Definitely we're seeing those, the customers that are looking to buy will convert. Um, so, I mean, partly it's a function also is as traffic goes down, conversion rate kind of holds as well because you get a more qualified, qualified audience, but um, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Sure. Have you seen much impact so far from the slowing housing market, uh, particularly in that trading update period? I mean, it's so hard to, to disentangle kind of macro from everything else that's going on. Where It's a very noisy period, um, you know, where... You know, if we didn't have the lapping impact of lockdowns and Obicron outbreaks, et cetera, we'd have a probably a cleaner read. Um, you know, I don't, I think it's, it's a bit hard to untangle. The only thing, as I said, the only thing we can see in, the, in, in, what, in our sales is people are definitely looking for more value. Um, and now that's probably macro related, you know, as interest rates go, go up and as the market cools, um, people are definitely feeling a bit poorer. Um, so that that is that we can see in the data, but as I said, we do have the ability to become a more value-based retailer quite quickly. Okay, thanks for that. So my last question is just around just just breaking down that seven percent decline. 
how much of an offset was uh, inflation for that period? As in prices, uh, price improvement? You're talking pricing? How much is price improvement? Pricing, pricing, yeah. Um, uh, we, I mean, the pricing hasn't, it's not like we worked up our prices. We've been consistently strategically pricing and recovering and moving our shipping recovery up. Um, so, you know, there is there, our, our revenue per active customer and our, and our AOVs are still going up. Um, repeat customers are, so it's really the, 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 the um, takeaway for, from um, the start of the year is it's really, as I said, it's really the, the new customers are down versus last year. But repeats are still going well. Those customers are still coming and still buying. Um, you know, it's not, I, I don't think our revenue increase is, is um, well, it's a, it's a decline anyway, but it's not being offset by massive price increases, that's what you're asking. More tactical price increases than I think. Okay. And in fact, we've actually, in fact, we've kind of run out in our, um, you know, the normal promotion calendar. So January was on sale for um, half the month um, with our normal sale period. So, um, you know, if anything, it, we, you know, we had a, we were operating a deflationary environment because we're on sale. Thanks, Mark. Jim. Thank you. Your next question comes from Tim Piper with UBS. Please go ahead. Uh, morning, Mark. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Uh, first one just around that sort of commentary around shifting to a, a more value-conscious uh, proposition. I mean, how material a shift in product range do you expect? Um, is it going to be moving into those categories where there's more competition from sort of the, the marketplaces? And then secondly, does that impact sort of revenue per active customer and average order value trends over the next six to 12 months, do you think? I don't, I think it's, it's an interesting one. Um, I don't think, I mean, firstly, how we can do it is it's relatively straightforward. Um, as I said, because we have the drop shipping part of the, part of the catalog, um, we can start just promoting our, you know, more value ranges. Um, customs will search for the more value ranges themselves. Um, in terms of a private label, we just dial up um, our entry level imports. Um, so I don't think I don't think it's um, and we've done it before. It's not like the first time we've had to do it. You know, and the site becomes a bit redder and you know, it's just that is the retail game. When people are feeling a bit poorer, you give them more value, and when they're feeling you know richer, you know, you can sell your more premium ranges. Um, I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary of what we're doing. Um, as I said, it's just that we have the flexibility to do it. It's not like we're locked into a single um, price proposition or custom proposition or range or assortment. We, you know, it's, it's a very flexible business model, um, which is fantastic in times like this, to be honest. Um, in terms of revenue per active customer, as I said, I think any, um, you know, average selling price, um, deflation um, will, is being offset by a move to the bigger items. It's already being offset. So I don't think we will see it impact um, our revenue per active customer. I hope, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that we can still grow that um, even with the shift of value as customers look for um, bigger items. Um, as I said, we are 
um, you know, working on more repeat um, and engagement strategy. So, um, you know, I think we've still got room to grow that metric in terms of orders for active customer. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it should hit revenue per active customer. If anything, you know, if my thesis plays out, which is furniture is a little bit less discretionary than people think, then actually what you should see is that, you know, if, if I need to buy a sofa, I, I will buy a sofa, but I will make sure it's the, it's, it's, I'm getting the most bang for my buck. And of course, if we have a great sofa at a great price, which is cheaper than, a, than you know, offline peers, then maybe people will sacrifice the touch and feel element for getting more value. And as I said, we're seeing actually a sofa category um, um, do quite well. Interestingly, an interesting interesting point, we're actually also we've introduced a, a um, more premium range well, in our in our world. It's not like premium, premium range, but kind of a, a price point above our normal for sofas. That's actually doing quite well as well. So that, again, suggests that even, you know, our customers who maybe have a bit more disposable income are still looking for value, but rather than go to, an, to a more expensive retailer, they're coming to the online channel, still buying what they think is value. For us, it's a, little, it's a bit, bit higher than our normal, normal selling point. But I think it's the same dynamic, whether you are, you know, no matter what your household income and no matter what your um, position life, you know, you, you still look for value. And if you're feeling a bit poorer, that equation becomes even more important. So, um, you know, as I said, I'm hope, I think we should actually still be able to grow our revenue for active customer, even if, as we shift the range to more value. Got it. Uh, do you have a number to put on growth in AOV? You're just looking at revenue per active customers up 7%. They clearly repeat orders on a year-on-year basis. It's way outperformed first time, so the growth in that must be doing a lot of the heavy lifting in that revenue per active customer. Can you give us a sense on what the year-on-year what the -year AOV growth is? Um, it's actually, a, it's the other way around. Mo, mo, a lot of the um, revenue per active customer is, um, actually is driven by AOV increases. The orders per active customer has, has been re relatively flat as we move through um, COVID. Oh, it's more of a portion of the business. Repeat, repeat customers. Um, well, so repeat customers, I mean, so like new customers, repeat customers have kind of struggled a bit in Q, Q1 as we're lapping, but actually their growth was quite strong during Q2. And, um, you know, the fact that the December's positive growth number was driven primarily by repeat, by repeat growth. Okay. Uh, did you break out a revenue number for the build for the half? We didn't, um, but we are flagging it will be lower than the than the number we were hoping for before, which was the 10 plus, because we've reduced our spend quite significantly. But we're You've looking at home improvement. We're looking at it. We've always said the build. I mean, the build was was a, was an experiment. We positioned it as an experiment. It is still an experiment, by the way, and it's still like we're still very bullish about home improvement. But it was a way to quarantine resources, understand the market, understand the customers. You know, make sure we've got some focus on it. Um, establish a management team, which is which is looking nothing else and thinking about nothing else but 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 home improvement. Um, but we always have seen home improvement as a group play. And in fact. You know, when we did the um, incentive structure for the um, management team for the for the build, they actually incentivized from group home improvement targets. So we were from day one, we were conscious of this is a group play. So we're we we we're, we're trying to steer people to 
we think of home improvement as a template Webster play as opposed to necessarily just a build play. You got it in the preso you said across the group it's up 12%. Uh, can I just clarify, you said the Temple and Webster in the half home improvement was up year on year within T&W? Yeah, it was. Okay, got it. So just one last question. Um, just on January, obviously there's a lot of focus around trading updates, etc. You sort of talk to seasonality across months. January is obviously a strong month for you guys. In, in absolute dollar terms, is January usually bigger than December uh, historically? January is usually bigger than December, yes. I think we lost you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Shami Ratnapala with Bell Potter Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks, Mark and Mark, for taking my question. Probably a follow-up from uh, Tim's question on uh, Jan versus December. Uh, thinking about that value shift, or rather um, just going back to uh, your comments, has this been um, a development from December to January, or could you just talk about the key differences in the demand environment uh, moving from December to January? Thank you. Um, no, we've been seeing, and I think I highlighted at the AGM um, that the value ranges, we can see the value um, ranges doing well. I mean, it, it, you know, the macro has been on people's minds for a little while now. Obviously, it's accelerating. Um, but, um, you know, for us to be landing entry-level products in Q4, you know, we were, you know, making the decision on, on importing them months ago. So it's not like a December or January decision. It was, it was before. I think... Um, as I said, January is very, it's a very noisy period because we're lapping Omicron. So it's very hard to get a read on is, um, is the macro accelerated between December and January. Um, I think it's, it, it's, it's too, too noisy to be able to answer that question. Great. And finally from me, I mean, just on the build, uh, more in the near term with the moderation in that investment, would the expectation for the near term be, um, Slightly less as well for the build platform. Yeah, yes. I mean that is the trade-off by re reducing the investment, uh, particularly around marketing, um, going a bit slower. We are expecting um, a reduction in growth. Um, but as I said, I, we, we, my mind when we're when we're talking about home improvement, we're talking about a cycle as long as furniture and homewares. You know, it's taken 11 years to get to where we are now. Now, hopefully we do it much faster because of everything we've learned, but we're not talking about months or weeks or days. We're talking about years. So, you know, if we have a quarter or two of slightly lower than, you know, planned growth, then I don't think it, it um, will make much difference. Um, but it will mean the business is just, you know, in a better position financially to, um, you, know, um, you know, be able to win in any trading environment. Perfect. Thanks for that. Thanks for taking my question. Thank you. Your next question comes from Wei Wen Cheng with RBC. Please go ahead. Hi guys, um, thanks for taking my question. Um, more questions. Um, so just firstly, I think the 2Q um, sort of breakout was interesting insofar as it showed, you know, pretty market improvement in the uh, in the past quarter. Um, profitability rose um, despite sort of sales falling. Um, 
just looking at that with sort of, you know, um, oh, and, and sort of obviously it seems like disinflation starting to come through, which is positive. Um, just wondering with sort of the 2Q margins pushing the upper end of um, guidance, whether we should think about sort of second half margins potentially exceeding that range, but then sort of over a full year basis, we kind of fall in within that three to five percent. Yeah, hey, wait. Look, I think, um, as always, it's good. there's going to be a number of overs and unders um, that will play out. But, you know, the result for the second half will also be contingent on what the top line looks like, right? And that's really the the, the unknown for us going, in, going into the second half. Um, as Mark mentioned, you know, I think if you look at the comps, Q3 is a bit tricky, but then Q4 looks pretty good, you know? So uh, the blended average is kind of okay. But... It will be the the, the result uh, between that between that three to five percent will be somewhat uh, contingent on what that top one looks like as well. But but we're certainly controlling the things that we can control. I think from a cost based point of view, we're really not going going hard in terms of uh, fixed cost investments or longer term investments at the moment. Um, you can see in the marketing spend, you know, we'd expect that to sort of stay within those sort of levels that we kind of sitting in at the moment in terms of marketing as a, as a percentage of revenue. Um, I think in terms of margin, there's probably more upside uh, potential uh, in the margin uh, in percentage terms in the second half relative to the first half. But, you know, we need to see how that, we need to see how that plays out. Um, so, look, you know, I, I think the answer is, look, potentially, but I'll be saying it will be, definitely not, because I think it will be, like I said, it will be, will be somewhat dependent on what um, on what the top line on what the top line looks like, you know, and there's always going to be some costs that kind of trickle through into the second half that um, you know you won't have a full annualised cost in the first half as well, which um, you know which 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 may come through, um, but you know there's offsetting factors to those as well. So so look, I think it's a bit of a wait and see. We're certainly saying at this stage we're three and a half percent, you know, for the first half, and you know we're confident that we'll be somewhere between three and five for the for the full year, but um, it's just a little bit too early at this stage to say where we think we'll land. Yeah, okay, thanks. And then just the next question, I guess, one of the more concerning things I saw in, in the result was, um, I guess, the decline in customer numbers. Um, can you maybe give some color around the loss? So 11% drop in customer numbers um, from the prior half. Um, should we think of customer losses as a, a leading indicator for, for the business? And also, in your view, is the loss of customers related to the reduction in marketing spend? I think um, I think the main driver of the decrease in in, in customers is as we lapped COVID um, in the prior impacted period. So, um, as I as I said before, um, the repeat customers did did some of the heavy lifting. Um, last half, um, and really, um, so many new customers came into the, to our market over the last couple of years that there was all, there was probably, you know, in hindsight, there was probably always going to be a a, a a correction if the world you know opened up and and went back to what normal kind of looked like. Um, so you definitely see we're seeing the new customers lapse in very big comps, but the decline year on year is reducing. So I can see kind of the trend back to kind of a more normal, um, you know, growth growth period. 
the active customers is a function, obviously, of how many customers you acquire in a period um, and um, how many customers from previous periods repeat. So that's kind of the two, um, you know, they're the unique customers in a period. So, you know, if our repeats are growing, that's fine, but if a new customers are down year and year because of the, that um, lapping effect, you'll see the active customers come down. So um, if anything, active customers are a bit of a lagging indicator rather than a leading indicator because they they represent the previous 12 months. Um, our goal, as I said, is, you know, to get new customers growing again, that's the market structure, the tailwinds behind us, we do a lot of that heavy lifting, and as we accelerate um, our marketing again, um, then um, yes, that should um, help new customers' growth. But look, there's, al there's also no point in going crazy in marketing and buying um, customers who are necessarily unprofitable, especially as I focus on cost management and marginal optimization and the bottom line, you know, um, uh, increased over the over the last you know couple a few quarters. Um, I think, um, yes, we pull back marketing a little bit, um, but we're also making sure, you know, our customers are profitable. Um, we've tightened our ROI bands and targets for, for those customers. Could we have grown fast by spending more money in marketing? Probably would have led to a more profitable business. Not sure, to be honest. Yeah, okay. And then um, just wanted to revisit the M&A commentary. Um, what would you be looking at buying um, in terms of like, would you be buying growth, like customers or capabilities, tech, supplier relationships? What's kind of the, the more sort of interesting um, sort of angle for you guys from an M&A perspective? I think the answer in that depends, sorry, I'm going to jump in and then you can, you can, I think the answer to that depends on which part of the business you're looking at. So I think if you, if you think about the business in, you know, three different bits. So you've got your B2C um, furniture and homewares, which is where we started. Um, and then we have laid on a B2B business, um, furniture and homewares. And now we've laid on a new vertical, which is home improvement. Um, each of them have different, they're different parts of the cycle, different levels of maturity. They have different um, strategic um, defenses, needs, um, you know, where an, where an inorganic opportunity may help. So. I can't imagine on the B2C furniture, and if I go through the three parts, I can't imagine on the B2C furniture and homewares, we're necessarily just going to be buying customers because that would involve buying another online retailer which looks like, for us, looks like us. You know, can we acquire those customers anyway with a better assortment or better pricing or, you know, more marketing, et cetera? It's probably cheaper to do it organically than inorganically. Um, I think, though, you get to things more, at our, especially as we kind of become bigger and bigger and become you know, a, a more important part of the market, that, um, you know, are the things where actually strategically they're great defenses um, and, um, you know, create further barriers to entry um, in our market. And that's when you get into things like maybe technology is quite interesting. So if we can find technology, um, you know, that actually truly, you know, improves the shopping experience, leads to higher... AOV, AOV leads to higher conversion rates, leads to higher repeat rates. That is a that could be a quite a big differentiator because um, we're making more more money for customers. We could potentially then spend more to acquire them, and the kind of cycle keeps going. Um, so that's kind of you know, if you think about the core, it's probably more likely you know things that strengthen the core as opposed to straight customers. When it gets to, to the other growth um, 
growth players, so the B2B furniture, homewares, and um, home improvement, they're at a much more nascent part of their journey. So they're, they're, they're more immature. In, that, in those cases, potentially buying you know, businesses that have established capabilities, established relationships, um, you know, whether it's, you know, for example, B2B business may have established design relationships or um, home improvement may already have an established brand in, 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 in um, the sector. That becomes, you know, a little bit more, um, you could see it could be customers, it could be capabilities, it could be technology, something that will strengthen those um, propositions and ensure that we win in those markets like we are winning in the B2C financial home. So I think it depends on which part of the business you're talking about. Yeah, cool. No, thanks. That's all from me. Thank you. Your next question comes from Bradley Beckett with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Oh, good morning, team. Thanks for taking my question here. If I could maybe just confirm that um, sort of your base case for the second half in terms of those fixed cost saving initiatives, it sounds like it's going to be at a similar pace to what you saw in the first half. If I could just confirm that and then um, Secondly, in terms of your trading update, can you add sort of a bit of colour around how um, we got to that down 7% figure through the weeks? Was it sort of improving as we start to get into into February? Thank you. Yeah, look, I think I'll, I'll take the first one, MC, um, in terms of the in terms of the cost base. Look, I think, like I said, the the majority of our um, fixed cost base is um, staff, it's wages. Um, you know, so I think if you take the if you take the first half, it's a it's a pretty decent proxy um, for where the fixed costs should you know should should end up um, for the for the full year. However, um, as we've mentioned, we will react accordingly. You know, so if if the trading conditions aren't where we think they'll be, and if the business isn't performing to the level to which we're, we're expecting, um, then you know there's levers that we can pull. You know, within those cost bases. Um, that can ensure that we still meet, you know, our target, our target EBITDA ranges. In terms of the variable costs above, they are variable costs, right? So they will fluctuate based on based on revenue. Um, I think the big thing there is uh, you can see that the marketing spend uh, has certainly come down uh, relative to you know to last year. So there's been some some moderation there, um, and, and essentially we've shifted some of that into the into the margin. So you know when we look at our cost bases. We also incorporate margin into our thinking as well, and they're all levers that we can that we can kind of push and pull in the business. But if you take the fixed cost, you know, I think you know the first half is is probably a pretty decent proxy for you know for the second half. Um, you know, but there are levers we can pull within that cost base if we need to. Um, uh, in, ter in terms of the phasing of the weeks uh, throughout Jan, look, to be honest, we've never gotten into uh, you know talking about those sorts of things in terms of how how it sort of played out. Um, you know, so I'm not sure, Mark, if you want to add any any further context there, but but generally we don't talk to that. Oh yeah, I was just going to say it's a, it's a, it's because of the timing of promos and blah blah. blah it we don't week by week is um it's probably not the in, best indicator. You know, there are periods up, periods down throughout throughout the five weeks. Yeah. Okay, no problem. Thanks, team. Thank you. Your next question comes from Scott Hudson with MST. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, gents. Just uh, one quick one for me. Just in terms of the build, obviously your, I guess, investment's gone from 10 to 6. Uh, I think if I'm correct, you probably 
at about $4 million EBITDA last year to date. So that means $2 million to come. Is that how I should be thinking about it? Hey, Scott, yeah. It'd be within probably a little bit less than that, but um, somewhere around that, yep. I think previously you talked about a break-even time frame of sort of FY26. Is that, how does that change given the moderation in the investment? Oh, look, I don't think that changes, to be fair. You know, we are taking a much more longer-term view of, of, of this of this segment. Um, um, and as Mark said, we are looking at home improvement holistically, not just the build as well. Um, but if you look at that specifically, well, you know, we've always said that uh, we think it's a huge opportunity. Uh, the market opportunity is large. We've got the, you know, we've got the, the, the capabilities internally, uh, we believe, um, from a technology standpoint, from a team standpoint, from a platform, from a brand standpoint, um, you know, to make it into a big business. Um, so, you know, I think those longer-term aspirations remain unchanged. Okay, and then just last one. Uh, you talk about, uh, I guess, investment in brand building into FY24. I guess that sort of gives us an indication that that's where you think the uh, revenue environment will be a little bit more supportive of that investment? I think that's when we, um, you know, finish lapping the COVID impact appearance, that period. So, um, you know, we're more confident about FY24 being a, a true read of underlying growth. Okay. That's all I had. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's all the time we have for our question and answer session. I'll now hand back to Mr. Coulter for some closing remarks. So thank you everyone for your time today. As you can see, um, you know, the flexibility of the TPW business has meant we've been able to increase our profit even in the face of revenue headwinds while we continue to invest in our longer term growth plays. Um, as I said before, we have the platform, the brand, the business model, and market leadership to continue to, to, continue to take advantage of the structural tailwinds driving the shift to online retail. Furthermore, a balance sheet and unit economics will allow us to navigate any short-term macroeconomic headwinds. Thank you for your time. That does conclude our conference for today. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.